This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Horsin' Around. Saddle up and get ready to have a darn tootin', gallopin' good time as we trot out the show that's your ultimate horse sorts, of course. Find out how to use good old horse sense when it comes to breeding, feeding, training, and explaining. From practical tips on caring for your horse's health to advice on how to buy horse supplies, including bridles, halters, saddles, and more. So get ready to start horsing around with your host, horse expert and award-winning rider, Audrey Pavia. Howdy, Audrey. Welcome to Horsing Around on PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to talk about the life of the wild horse, the kinds of relationships they have with each other, what their daily lives are like, and how we can learn so much about our own horses based on wild horse behavior. Our guest this week is author Carol Walker, whose book, Wild Hoofbeats, chronicles the life of a herd of wild horses in southern Wyoming. We're going to discover what Carol learned about wild horses during her time out on the range when we come back from these messages. Why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsor. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we are talking to author and photographer Carol Walker about wild horses. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you. Your book, Wild Hoofbeats, uh, gives readers a glimpse into the lives of a herd of wild horses on the Wyoming range using both words and photography. And it's just an incredible book, and I just couldn't stop reading it when I picked it up. Tell us how you got involved in doing this. Well, you know, I've been photographing um, wildlife for over 25 years, and I had started a um, horse photography business about 10 years ago. And friends of mine said to me, well, why aren't you photographing wild horses? So just a couple weeks later, someone emailed me and offered uh, to take me out into a wild horse area. So I said, my goodness, this must be meant. So I went out, and it was this area in Wyoming that I ended up doing for the book. And the first time I went out there, I immediately fell in love with these horses. And... Uh, one of my very first encounters that very first time was this gray stallion and his family. And um, the gray stallion runs up to me. Um, you know, he didn't know what was going on, and he kind of snorted, and then he stopped. And then his, uh, his two fillies came up, and he was nuzzling them. And then one of them uh, kind of almost made a face at me, which was just so adorable. And it was almost like they were posing for me. 
And once they realized I wasn't the threat, they just kind of relaxed. And that's really when I get the best times of observing wild horses is when they forget I'm there and they go on with what they do. I remember that photo in the book. It's it's a very (laughs) funny picture. A little filly looks like she's smiling at you. Yes, and that was one of my very first encounters with the wild horses. And so at that point, I realized I had to go back and keep going back. Mm-hmm. And um, after spending quite a bit of time out there, I also realized that the wild horses were really in jeopardy of, of being removed completely from the United States. And so if I wanted to make sure there were still wild horses out there, that I would have to do something about it. So that's right. where the idea for the book came from. Okay. Now, after you spent all this time with them, tell us your impressions of wild horses. You know, uh, wild horses, when they're not threatened, are very curious. And I found that really enchanting about them. They really, they're just like domestic horses, and they're very curious about what's going on, and they want to check things out. But they're very family-oriented. It's different than domestic horses that, you know, have been brought up not with their families. But the stallions... um, are very protective of their families, and uh, the mares are very affectionate with the stallions, and the stallions are very affectionate with the babies, which is really neat to see uh, in the wild, and I think that's a dynamic you don't see anywhere else except with wild horses, and um, family is so essential to them. And the young, uh, the young stallions get kicked out of the herd, and they don't want to be by themselves either, so they buddy up with the other bachelor stallions until they can find a family of their own. What's so heartbreaking about the roundups are that the stallions are separated from mares that they may have been with for 10, 15 years. The mares are separated from their foals, and the family is so important to these horses. And, you know, to never see those family members again. So I think that's one thing that's that's really, really hard about that. You know, especially when they take the old stallions off the range, you know, I really think they, and the old mares, I think they deserve to be able to live out their lives where they have been for their whole lives. Well, that's one thing I noticed when I was looking at the book that was, that made me feel sad was seeing and, you know, reading about and seeing in the photographs how attached they are to each other and just to think what they go through at the roundups when they're all separated and it must be so traumatic for them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, I know you're a horsewoman. You have um, Andalusians, I believe. Yes, so you okay. So now you you know horses, um, domestic horses, pretty well. I'm guessing. What did you learn about domestic horse behavior after observing wild horses? Like, what did you learn about your own horse? Well, one thing I learned is that it's hard to, it, it, just like in the wild, if if a horse is scared, it's almost like their brain shuts down and all they want to do is survive. Uh And so I started thinking about that with domestic horses is when a domestic horse is upset or scared, there really isn't going to be any learning going on and there's probably not going to be a good ride either. So it seems like it's really important to make your horse, and I find this with photographing domestic horses, to make your horse feel at ease and then there can be some communication and then there can be some things that get done. 
So um, otherwise, you have the survival instinct is very, very high. Right. Did you see a lot of examples of that instinct when you were out there with the horses? Yes. Uh, some, some bands of horses I could never even get near because the minute they'd see a car, they were gone. And if I saw, um, it was interesting, it was usually a young filly. Um, would, sometimes the rest of the band would be fine with me being there, but the filly, it would bother her, and she'd get nervous, and she'd start running around, and she'd stir everybody else up, and then they mm-hmm. were gone. Yeah. And, you know, when I think about my experiences when I have problems with a horse spooking or... Um, not really reacting the way I want them to in a strange situation, it made me think about that. Is there a way that they sort of decide together that there's no danger? How does that work? Did you notice that? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, this one stallion, uh, he wasn't too happy that his mare and foal came pretty close to me. And so he was like getting between them and me. So in a way, you know, he wasn't happy that they were relaxed and interested in me because they got a little too interested. So that happened as well. But also, usually it was the stallion would come up and try to get downwind of me so he could smell me. And once he came up and if I sat still and just waited, then he'd relax and everybody else would. One of the things I noticed in your book was uh, like when you wanted to appear less intimidating to them, you mm-hmm. would crouch down. And that, mm-hmm. that struck me as funny because I have a, a Spanish Mustang who's actually, he was, his um, family was feral a couple generations ago. He was born in captivity, but he still has a lot of what I think are very strong wild horse care, uh, instincts left. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if he sees a person bent over or crouched down, He's terrified of that. He's terrified. And, oh. and he doesn't relax until they stand up. And I, I always thought it was, well, he thinks it's like some, it's a mountain lion crouched in a corner ready to pounce. <laughs> right, 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 right. But apparently right. those horses didn't see you that way when you crouched down. No, and usually, sometimes they would immediately come closer to investigate and see what I was because mm-hmm. they weren't sure. Yeah, that's funny that you th- you would think their first instinct might be to run, you know, rather than ask questions, you know, yes. ask questions later. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I know that when I sneak up on them, like if I come from behind a hill or something and I'm like hiding, then mm-hmm. they are definitely going to run away. Yeah, because so that's predator that it, behavior. Yes, but an approach in the open is usually more acceptable. <laughs> mm, okay, okay. So the, the time you spent out there with them, what would you say is the typical day in the life of a wild horse? Okay, so probably when the sun comes up, they start grazing, and they will also probably go in search of water. And especially in the summertime when it's a little warmer, um, they're going to be going for water in the morning. And then they tend to take a nap mid-morning. And I found this in every horse herd I've observed. Mm. There's like a mid-morning nap and maybe a couple, depending on how many small foals there are in the band. Because the foals, the little foals need more sleep than, than uh, the older ones. And I've, you know, I've seen entire bands lie down napping. And then what I like to do is wait until they finish their nap because then the foal is going to jump up and, and get some milk 
and the rest of the band will get up, and, and sometimes there's a lot of activity. The, the stallions get kind of amorous after their nap also. So um, it's, it's fun to watch that behavior in the morning. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then in the summer, especially late afternoon, they're going to go for water. And sometimes you'll get rolling in the water, and that can be fun. And if it's really hot, um, what I really like to watch is when they run for the water, because that's, that's very exciting. Hmm. So how many times a day do they, they drink? Do you say twice? They go twice to drink? Maybe once. Maybe only once sometimes. Oh, but every day, and, huh? Yeah. And, uh, and then in the winter, with snow, they can eat the snow. So they don't have to go to a location usually. Right. So right. it's going to be easier for them. And in the spring, there's lots of puddles everywhere. So that's easier as well. Did you notice, like, as the day went on, like, after their afternoon nap, um, did they behave any differently right around dusk, right before the sun went down? Um, yeah, usually when it gets cooler, they're a little more active and move around more. And there's, that's when play is going to happen with the foals. Around dusk, usually the, the foals will play the most. Um, so, yeah, that's usually what happens. Do they get more vigilant around that time when night is falling? Because isn't that kind of when the predators start to come out? Well, you know, it depends on the area. Like in the prior mountains, there are mountain lions and there are predators. Um, in this area in Wyoming, uh, there's coyotes, but I don't mm-hmm. think they really qualify as predators. So there really no. aren't the predators out there. Okay, so they're not as um, probably nervous or worried as horses in ranges where you have predators. Exactly. Yeah. So how much time would you say they spend grazing? How much of their day? Oh, I would say a very large part of their day. And they move around a lot, so they're not just staying in one place. I would say typical range is going to be 10 to 15 miles. A day. They're moving moving a lot around. Yeah. Um, Did you ever see them just run just for the heck of it? Oh, yeah. Usually in the spring. And, uh, like, you know, they'll act like something startled them and there doesn't really even seem to be anything going on. And suddenly everybody's gone and they just keep going and having a wonderful time. So, uh-huh. and you won't see that in the winter. Um, really the conservation of energy and with less food available, there's a lot less activity and the horses mm. are being a lot quieter. So it's a lot more boring to watch them. In right, the I bet. They're just kind of standing around. <laughs> exactly, or digging for um, grass under the snow. Right, right. So how much snow did, did it get in that area in the winter where you were observing? It depends. You know, um, this year was more of an average winter where you had maybe a foot or two at a time. La- uh, the previous year was a really bad year. Um, there was feet and feet and feet of snow, and the horses were quite thin in, in the spring. Mm-hmm. And that does happen from time to time. But for the yeah. most part, the horses tend to come through the winter well unless there's been an excessive amount of snow. And it, when it's um, windy, I mean, I know that from looking at the photos in the book, it's pretty flat, open rangeland. Yes. Is there anything they do to, like, kind of uh, avoid the weather? Because with our own horses, you know, if it's raining, we're all freaked out. Oh, they got to put them in the barn or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what are the wild horses? How do they feel about the weather? Well, they just have to deal with it, and their coats are so thick. I mean, the babies look like uh, little teddy bears. You know, they're just furry. They've got so so much hair, and they'll turn their backs to the wind, but in Wyoming, it's windy all the time. 
Mm. who I think they kind of get used to it. And uh, there, there will be like rises in areas where there's perhaps less wind, but uh-huh. it, you're right, it's very exposed. So I think they just get used to it. In the Pryor Mountains, they have um, trees up there, which they can kind of go and shelter in. But of course, that's right under the mountain lions. Right. So, right. <laughs> in a way, not, not having trees is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, they really don't, uh, do they huddle together during a, a blizzard? Yeah, I've been out when it's been kind of bad, and they will huddle together. And, and mm-hmm. in the summer, you know, with the flies, they'll stand head to tail and, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, brush flies off each other with their tails. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see them roll, like in the dust, the way our horses roll when we turn them out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and get really coated with mud too, rolling uh-huh. in the water hole and then rolling in the dirt, um, and that kind of gives a little insulation for the flies. Right. That's what I was wondering if there was a real practical purpose for it, other than just fun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one thing I noticed too in your book was um, how the stallions seem to. They check in with each other every so often, like, well, are you still uh, up for defending your mares? Can I take them from you? It seemed to be kind of a common thing. Oh, yes, yes. Well, the, you have, you'll have often, you'll have a bachelor stallion dogging a herd. If he senses there might be a weakness in the stallion, and mm-hmm. he might be able to get away with something, or maybe the stallion's a little bit older, um, he'll follow the man really closely and look for an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also saw a lot of uh, different bands with stallions that knew each other clearly, and they would be very respectful of each other. They wouldn't try to do anything with each other, and th- they kept kind of a respectful distance, but there wasn't any problems between them. And mm-hmm. when they met, they would kind of, you know, nose to nose, maybe a little squeal, but no, no fighting, uh, but just a sense of respect, which I found very interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to ask you a little bit about bachelor stallions and and how they work all that stuff out. So um, we'll be right back. Why the long face? (laughs) I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsor. Molly, here's your dinner. (laughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we're talking to author and photographer Carol Walker about wild horses. Carol, the stallions in the, in the wild herds that don't have their own 
band of mayors. Tell me about what their lives are like, what it, what they do for companionship, and are any of them completely solitary? How does that work? You know, the ones that I saw that were completely solitary were usually the older stallions who had lost their bands. They were really living out the ends of their lives. And sometimes the older stallions, a couple would hang together, but usually they'd be solitary. And uh, it's kind of sad in a way, seeing them like that. Mm-hmm. The younger stallions will tend to band together, um, either in twos, threes, or even more. And they play with each other, and they roughhouse, and I think they egg each other on, trying to, you know, when, when and they even might um, help each other try to steal a mare from a band. As hmm. That's so interesting. Kind of bad boys, you know. They kind of yeah. rock it into the area and stir things up, and I always have a wonderful time watching them. So, how do they help each other steal mares? That's a there's something well, funny about that. Well, one might take a run at the stallion and distract him while the other uh, goes after a mare, uh-huh. or they might run at the stallion both at the same time. Of course, I don't know how they work out. Who's going to get the mare? Well, that's what I was wondering. That was my next question. <laughs> Who gets the mare after that? <laughs> do the mayors go willingly, by the way? Or how, what, how do they feel about this? Well, you know, um, when the fillies go into estrus, um, when they're growing up, around oh, two, one and a half, two to three, they do leave the bands. So they will often go in search of another band, or they quite willingly will be taken by another mm. stallion. And in those cases, does the, the herd stallion kind of let them go? Well, usually. Um, however, there are exceptions. Cloud, for example, up in the Prior Mountains, has uh-huh. not let his two fillies go, and they're like three and four, or three wow. and five. Has and he they're bred still them? with him. He, other stallions have bred the mares, and they oh. have... He has grandkids this year. That's he interesting. Want anybody so he, to go. <laughs> he allows the other stallions to breed them, but he won't let them leave the band. Right. Oh wow, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, I found it really interesting. Yeah, that is really. <laughs> I, I didn't know that they would do that. I thought whoever was, you know, in charge of the herd was the only one that bred. I didn't. Yeah. Know the. Yeah. Wow. And one thing I noticed in your book too that was that really surprised me was you said some of these stallions are are pretty old. Yes. In fact, uh, one of the stallions that I spent some time with, the red roan stallion, when they aged him, uh, when they rounded him up, they said he was twenty two years old. Yeah. And I find it it was hard to believe because he was in such good shape and mm. didn't look twenty two. And you know, domestic horses, of course. You know, I know horses around here that have lived to 40, but, you know, in the wild, it's a lot tougher life, so the horses don't tend to live as long. The stallions live longer than the mares because it's hard on the mare's body to be breeding. Right. So, but still, 20s is pretty old for in the wild. When they do die, what typically gets them? Um, well, I would think that whatever, um, whatever scavengers would, would eat their bodies. What ultimately kills them, I guess, is what I meant. I guess whatever would kill a domestic horse, um, colic, or if they become lame and they can't eat, or something, you know, I I think it would be just the same as what would Mm -hmm. affect a a domestic horse, but we would tend to get veterinary care, and they, of course, don't. Right, because I know a lot of people that are very strong advocates of natural horse care feel that the wild horses um, don't have a lot of the same issues that our horses have because they live a more natural life. 
Well, that so. is possible, but I think what's really the case is that the ones that are not strong don't survive. Right, right. That's so true. So a horse with a, with a bad foot is not going to make it in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and a horse with digestive problems is going to die. So I think they, they have problems, but the ones that are, that are the strong ones are the ones that make it. Right. So at the end of your book, the last couple chapters, you talk about the plight of the wild horses. And this was so sad to me, like these horses that you get to know in your book, then you watch what happens to them when they get rounded up and taken away from their families. Tell us a little bit about what goes on with that whole thing. Well, you know, originally they used to only take the young horses, like the the weanlings and the yearlings. And they would release the older horses back into the wild. But the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, has really stepped up their removal policy, and they've been taking more and more horses out of the wild, even though they consider anything over five to be unadoptable. So these horses uh, that they decide that they are going to take out, they take them to a holding facility like in Rock Springs, Wyoming, or Canyon City, Colorado, and they get shipped there, and they get tested for Coggins, they get uh, shots, the stallions get castrated, and then um, if it looks like they're adoptable, they get sent to uh, adoptions, and if they decide they're not adoptable, they get sent to a long-term holding facility in either um, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, um, Nebraska, uh, Texas, and these horses are basically in uh, holding facilities until they die or until the BLM decides to put them down, which they actually announced last summer that they were going to euthanize 33,000 horses that were in long-term holding. Right, and I did a show on that where I interviewed someone from the HSUS about that Mm -hmm. whole situation, yeah. So right now... Nothing has been done, but these horses are at risk until there's some legislation passed to protect them of that happening. Now, you talk in the book about something called the Burns Amendment. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, it was in. uh, It was. It went through Congress in uh, the weekend of Thanksgiving, um, 2004, and it was a rider attached to the Appropriations Bill, which is basically the bill that allows Congress to have money to function. And this was a last-minute thing that nobody found out about until afterwards. And what this does is it allows the horses that have either not been adopted after three times or are over 10 years old, and the BLM has changed this to five years old now, to be sent to, uh, to be sold without limitation. So currently, if you want to adopt a wild horse, you have to have um, the horse, you have to be... You have to meet certain standards for the BLM, and you don't even get the title to this horse until a year after you've had the horse. But under this amendment, these horses can be sold outright, which makes it very easy to sell them for slaughter. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can just turn right around and sell them to a slaughterhouse. Uh, you know, the temptation is very great. Right. And, you know, now we're going back to the pre-1971 days when people used to just go out there and round up wild horses and send them off for dog food, so... Exactly. 
Yeah, it's pretty sad that this is what's happening now. And the reason, from what I understand, is that a lot of it has to do with land rights. The cattle ranchers get to lease the land at a very discounted rate from the government, and the land can only support so many animals, so the horses get the shaft. Right, exactly. So what can we do as horse lovers to help the wild horses? Well, the best, very best thing that we can do is to write our our representatives because there is a bill that is going to be coming up for a vote in the House. Um, I'm not sure exactly when, but soon because it just moved out of committee, and it's called the Rome Act, and it's House, uh, House Bill 1018, and it's actually going to restore some protection to the horses, and it's going to change how the BLM allocates land, and it's going to prevent the destruction of healthy horses. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm very hopeful that if we can get this bill passed, and then through the Senate, of course, that we can that this will actually this will actually give the horses a better chance than they even had before the Burns Amendment came in. That's great. And what I'm going to do is on our episode notes page on the Horsing Around section of PetLifeRadio.com, we're going to put some links on where people can get more information about this and how they can write to their representatives, so we can you know all rally behind the horses and do what we need to do for them. You know, and one of the best sites to get information about what's going on currently and what people can do to help is the American Wild Horse Preservation Campaign, wildhorsepreservation.org. And they're a, 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 it's a great site for getting information of all kinds about the wild horses. Okay, great. We'll put that on there, too. We're also going to put your website uh, address on there, which is wildhoofbeats.com. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Carol for being my guest this week and encourage everyone to check out Carol's book, Wild Hoof Beats. The photographs are really incredible, and you'll just learn so much about wild horses and probably your own horse by reading this book so if you have any questions or comments about horsing around please email me at audrey at petliferadio.com until next time happy trails stop what you're doing and start horsing around every week on pet life radio horse expert and award-winning rider audrey pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding breeding and more on everything equestrian so set a spell and say hey to audrey and get ready for a darn tootin galloping good time every week on horsing around on demand only on petliferadio.com